Hello guys and welcome back to episode 7 of the Football Gossip Podcast once again by myself this week and we'll be rounding up all the action from game week 6 of the Premier League. Let's get right into it. Starting off with the Man City game, Man City putting 8 goals past Watford. Man City looking back to their best after uh, a shock defeat, defeat to Norwich uh, last week. I think Kevin De Bruyne is, for me, starting to become, showing why he's probably one of the best midfielders in the world. I mean, he just controls the game when he's on the pitch and the amount of attacks he starts and when he's on the port, when he's on the ball, Man City players are just anticipating the space where the ball's going to go. Now they know De Bruyne so well, it's they're running into the spaces that they know they're going to he's going to put it into. I think it was um, David Silva's first goal, where it's one of those typical ones where the fullback's got the ball, kind of a cutback pass to pretty much probably like five to two to five yards off the 18-yard box, and De Bruyne just whips it into the back post, and David Silva's there to tap it in, and we've seen the likes of Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling do the same thing. So. For me, seeing uh, De Bruyne play is brilliant, and I think he's starting to show why people are talking about him being one of the best midfielders in the world. And I think in my um, you know player player of the season predictions, I said if De Bruyne uh, manages to stay fit for the remainder of the season, we can see him becoming kind of the player of the season and being talked about one of the best players in the world. I think. He's just got to prove it on a European stage and see. We need to see Man City progress into the in the Champions League in order to talk of him about being one of the best in the world and the best in Europe. But I do think that he's fast becoming one of the best midfielders in the world as long as he stays fit and healthy. Because um, last season he was injury struck and that took him out for large portions of the season. And that's why we saw um, players like Gundogan, Bernardo Silva come in and kind of fill that void that um, and fill the creative void so to speak that he left when he was gone and we saw it in the champion in the FA Cup final he come on for I think 40 minutes of the second half was the man of the match because he destroyed Watford in uh, just 40 minutes and destroyed him in 90 minutes on the weekend setting up two goals and getting a goal himself but I think Watford should be deeply will be deeply deeply um, disappointed with that result they were woeful Really, really woeful. They were shambles. I think it was Bernardo, one of Bernardo Silva's goal from the corner. He was just free at the back to tap in, um, or uh, wasn't picked up by any defenders and was just let him run off. The same with Otto Mendes' goal. Uh, a quick free kick by David Silva and um, put Aguero in. And he just, it's one of those Man City goals, really, where we just see a player whip it across the six yard box and it's a back post tap in. And in that, Otto Mendes had so much space, or he was unmarked at the back post. And so was Aguero. He had so much space just to kind of drill it across the six-yard box. And Watford were just napping. They really didn't know what was happening during that free kick. It's hard to um, justify at this moment in time whether Fernandinho and Otamendi are going to fill in the void of Stones and Laporte so soon. I think because with a team like Watford, you're not expecting them to cause many problems for Man City. No disrespect for um, Watford. Um, I think they had a total of I think five shots in the whole game and only four on target. And I think that's what we would expect, especially since how their FA Cup loss went. And now this, until like a big team that could cause issues like maybe Chelsea, Man U with their pace to some extent, Arsenal, um, when they get attacking, they're good. And I think um, Liverpool as well, when we see them go out, Fernandinho and Otamendi, 
that'd be a very interesting game. I think they would look really shaky at the back in, in terms of having to, to defend against Liverpool's front three. But I think it's a great uh, performance to bounce back from what was a shot loss to Norwich. And it's a good way for kind of Man City to kind of silence the doubters around it. But I think, like I said, until we see a bigger, bigger team come in, like we say Liverpool or Chelsea, that may cause them issues at the back. We won't see if um, kind of the defensive pairing of Otamendi and Fernando um, Fernandinho is going to work because, it, yeah, it's too early on, I think, to kind of judge how well they're getting on. But I think if any manager is going to help to transform a player into that role, I think Guardiola is the man, so to speak. I don't know if you understand what, uh, if I explain that properly. But I think because, in my opinion, Pep Guardiola is one of the best coaches in the world. If anyone's going to turn Fernandinho into a top quality um, centre-half whilst he's kind of plagued with injuries I think he's the man to do it and I think he'll kind of he's only looking to do it until January because we know Man City aren't afraid to splash the cash and I reckon they'll come in for a big centre-back that'll fit Guardiola's mould I think uh, they've been rumoured with um, I think I don't know how to pronounce it but Skunar from um, Inter Milan I think he's on Pep's radar and I think he'll be looking I think they'll be looking to chase him throughout January to kind of fill the void that Laporte's uh, opened up because of his injury but let's not forget uh, John Stones is only injured I think for a few three or four weeks so he could come back a lot sooner whether he'll replace Otamendi or whether he'll slot in next to Otamendi um, we have to kind of see because I think they've only had five matches together and they just don't look like a very solid pairing they do look very uncomfortable and I think now um, Pep Guardiola is either regretting letting company retire or not finding his replacement because they just haven't got the depth there. And I think that's showing with just a couple of injuries. But like I said, it's too early doors to make some like firm judgments because they just pumped uh, Watford 8-0 in a match you would expect them to win and win comfortably. But until a big team comes there ready to attack them, then we can pass judgment. And guys, like I was saying earlier, with uh, De Bruyne becoming one of the best midfielders in the world, um, I'd be interested to see what you think, whether he is at the moment in time the best or whether someone else, kind of like Frankie de Jong. I've always thought myself that um, a midfielder should be both defensive and attacking-wise in order to be a well-rounded best in the world. Um, so for me, De Bruyne, in my opinion, like when I kind of grown up with kind of looking at Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, those sort of types, Players that can both defend and attack, you know, kind of being amongst the goals, creating them, scoring them, but also doing their defensive part. And for me, because De Bruyne is such an attacking midfielder, I think that defensive bit's lacking. So whether you say he's the best midfielder in the world or just whether the best attacking midfielders. Anyway, let me, go, let me know, guys, what you think. So he's got two goals and seven assists in his first six games this season in the league. So, yeah, let me know who you think is the best midfielder in the world at this moment in time and whether it is De Bruyne. Moving on to the early kickoff, which is a very disappointing one. Tottenham, yet again, drop, uh, losing a lead. Three of the last four games, they've dropped a lead, which is starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> Not going to lie, guys. You know, first against Arsenal, two goals up, and then, bringing it back, and then Arsenal getting it back to 2-2. Same against Olympiacos, and now against Leicester. First half, we looked decent. Um, we looked kind of like the Spurs that were playing at Crystal Palace, the way we were free-flowing. We were going at Leicester and creating chances, but then it was just second half. It was just it's just flat again. 
And I think Pochettino's got a real problem because that's three out of the last four games he's dropped points from a leading position. I think you could argue that if um, Son's goal wasn't offside, that could have changed the game. That may have killed Leicester off and stopped them coming back, which we'll get on to a second. But I think Leicester are kind of proven why people are saying they could be the team to break into the top six and even the top four with their performances. And Brendan Rodgers has done such a great job since he's come in and transforming that team to what it is now for a team that could go up against the top six and top four teams and get good results. And that is a good result for Leicester. They fought well. They did put Tottenham under pressure for their first for their goals. Um, a great link-up play, getting the ball down and just moving it. Um, Ricardo's goal, just following in. Madison's, I've, I would argue that he was given a bit too much space in and around the 18-yard box. I think... Wanyama should have been a lot closer to him because it's not rocket science. He is probably their biggest goal threat in terms of actually creating the chances on scoring them. I think he's such a creative and fluent player that he is dead. Even though we say about Vardy being a danger man, I think Vardy wouldn't be as good and as potent without Madison. And then the whole Leicester team wouldn't be as, which is obvious me saying, wouldn't be as good if Madison wasn't there. So I think that Wanyama should have not given uh, Madison so much space. Uh, I think that was a, it was a very decent finish. I think whether if we had Larice and not Gazaniga, whether he would have saved it is any argument. But I do think that Wanyama shouldn't have given Madison the space and just to get a shot off. And going uh, back to Sun's goal, obviously it was. I think it's come out to say it's 16 millimeters offside. A lot of people are kind of. I think they're annoyed about how stringent offside is, but. It's VAR acting on the offside rule, even though he is 16 millimeters. It's still offside. I think that if we, we could easily be here without VAR and, and that goal count, and we say if VAR was in place, Leicester could have, you know, been robbed of potentially getting a point and potentially turning the game around because of a dubious goal that was offside. I think a lot of people are saying because it's so tight, how can you judge it? And there's like 16 millimeters. Like it's you know from Johnny Evans uh, I think back knee to Son's armpit is kind of the 16 millimeter mark and but end of the day it is offside he did have a 16 millimeter advantage leading up to the goal in the same phase you know it's gone in Tottenham's favour hasn't gone in Tottenham's favour this week although it did at the start of the match because um, indeed his goal got called offside because of VAR it wouldn't have been given without VAR. And it's the same, I said at the start of the season with Man City, there are going to be games where it does go in our favour when uh, Laporte's handball stopped um, or kind of disallowed the Man City goal. And now we're saying, you know, Tottenham didn't have it this game. You know, VR is, like, whether we like it or not, VR is here to stay. I've said this before. It's just like having a poor referee in a game. Some chances you get, some chances you don't. And it's the objective decisions like offside. Uh, handballs, anything that VAR is acting on the law, we can't change. And it is offside, we just have to get on with it. Um, there's no moaning about saying, oh, it's 16 millimeters, do you give, you know, are they saying, do you bring in a buffer now, saying you have to be, you know, within three to five centimeters on or offside for it to count? And I just think it's offside, we just gotta get on with it. You know, it's Tottenham's fault in the end for losing the game, for dropping another leading position. I think we just, uh, I think Pochettino especially just has to hold the players more accountable. I know they tried to do it midweek by, you know, Harry Kane coming out and saying that Tottenham aren't good enough. So, you know, they're not 
they're making the same mistakes, then we just need to iron out those mistakes. If we're making the same ones, we obviously know we're doing it, so do something about it. So yeah, I think saying VAR cost Tottenham points this week is a bullshit um, argument. I think Poch just needs to hold the players more accountable at the end of the day. You know, they've even said themselves they're making the same mistakes. They just need to iron them out. And I think he has been given the budget um, to bring in new players like Ndombele, Lo Celso, Sessegnon. Granted, they have been kind of struck with injuries. But we just, we've got a decent squad. It's the same squad that made it to a Champions League final last year. So we can do well in the league. we just got to apply ourselves. So I think Tottenham need to stop with their excuses and hold themselves more accountable for with these mistakes and not holding on to these leads because it's a joke. And if they're not careful enough, they may drop miss out on the top four for by teams from Chelsea, Leicester coming in and taking it, who aren't making those mistakes. That's an, <laughs> that's another Tottenham weekly rant. Uh, moving on to the Sunday kickoffs. The early kickoff between West Ham and Man United. Man United losing 2-0 to West Ham, which is an amazing, amazing result for West Ham. I don't want to say it, but it is. I think West Ham were real, were brilliant today. Um, you know, their two goals, Cresswell's free kick was brilliant. You know, beating De Gea from that range isn't easy. You know, he's easily one of the best keepers in the world. And to beat him, like the pace, the dip on the curve, it was such a brilliant free kick. And Yarmolenko's goal. I thought Yarmolenko's was quite easy. I mean, he did pretty much walk through. They West Ham played through Man United's defence. I mean, if I was saying that five years ago, you'd be laughing at me. But fully deserved to West Ham, you know. But Man United were very disappointing. Um, I think you do have to give your credit to West Ham. They played with Met tremendously and they took it to United. If I was a United fan, I would be worried about the current state because um, their last away game they won was against PSG in the Champions League last season. You know, they can't hold to their, onto their memories forever. We've seen them t- do that at the moment. But I don't think things have to change at United, but it's going to take time. Um, there is a lot of rumours going around now, you know, the kind of the whispers of Oli out, you know, those chances are starting to happen. But we don't want to see that. I think Oli should be given a good chance at United. He has got rid of a lot of plays he didn't want at the, in the team and did, were a bad influence on the squad. You know, the likes of Lukaku. He's got, you know, Sanchez out on loan. He's got Smith-Rismalling, who was a meme for his entire Manchester United career. He's got rid of Damian. He wasn't getting a game. He was just a waste of space in the squad. And he wanted to bring through these youngsters. You know, there is core values and philosophy. He wants to give, you know, these United youngsters a chance that he was given when he was playing for United, which is tremendous, which is very valiant to see and I think that um, United do need to give Oli time and they do need need to give United board time in order to bring the right players and the right backroom staff I mean just look at their kind of Merseyside rivals in Liverpool they went through the exact same transition after kind of you know the Brendan Rodgers stage where he got them to a title challenging team yes they missed out on the league lost a few key players in Suarez Sterling, Jared retired, and they went through this really awkward transition phase, you know, which was really frustrating for Liverpool fans. And now they're seeking the benefit, they're reaping the benefits of it because, you know, they went through the stage of where, you know, their midfield two was Shelby and Spearing, and now they're in, you know, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Milner, Fabino. You know, they've gone through this awkward transition phase after where they were at a decent stage. In challenging for the title, 
taken a few seasons, brought Klopp in, brought in the right players that Klopp wanted at the club, and now you can see, now they're challenging for the league. And they've been in two Champions League finals in two seasons. And, but, they, but the difference is they gave them time. They gave Klopp time, they gave the owners time to bring the right players, and that's what United fans have to do now. They have to be patient and wait. They have to be patient and just let Oli be in the role for two or three more years, get rid of the players that he doesn't want, bring in the new players that he does want and does need at the club, and then you can start passing the judgment. You can start saying, is he the right man now that we've got all the decent players? He's, we've got, he's got the players he wanted. He's got the back and he's wanted. Now can he do it? If not, then you can say, Oli out if he isn't getting the results. But for the time being, you do need to give him patience. You do need to have patience and you need to give him time. It's not going to happen overnight like it happened at Liverpool. And now look at them. They've got the perfect start to the league. Champions League winners. Champions League final two seasons ago. You know, they arguably, they should have won the league last season if it weren't for an equally superb Man City side. Man United just need to give Oli the time, have patience and hope that it gets better because it will with time. Moving on to the later Sunday afternoon kickoffs. Ten men Arsenal managed to overturn going down to Villa to win 3-2. Villa again are kind of their own arch enemies. Um, You know, I was saying a few weeks ago that the problem is for Villa is they're making championship level mistakes but getting punished by Premier League teams. You know, the mistakes they're making may go unnoticed in the but now in the Premier League in the big time that level is so high that the mistakes they are making are getting punished, you know. Obviously Eng- the first goal, Engels giving away a silly penalty by when he stepped across kick Guendouzi. Um Tyra Mings with a poor head out. Uh, I think he was trying to bring it down to Taylor to then play out, but I think he should have just cleared it, which then led to Callum Chambers getting the second goal and then giving away a free kick. Which Abamian scored, which is a really nice free kick. Um, you know, kind of fake the keeper, made him kind of step towards where the wall was to then put in the other side. A very nice free kick. But you do have to commend Arsenal from coming back, even with ten men. Um, as much as I hate to say it, you know, Abamian saving them yet again. I think his goals are going to be vital, especially since um, Lacazette's going to miss kind of the rest of this month through injury. Uh, Nicolas Pepe getting his first goal, but it's just a penalty. You lot saying Harry Kane's a penalty tapping merchant. Don't get too excited because he's had his first goal. It's a penalty. Calm yourself before you even talk about Harry Kane being a tapping penalty merchant when he scored one goal from a penalty. Don't start it yet. He's not that great. But you do have to commend Arsenal for fighting back. They do have this knack of doing it, going a goal down. We saw against uh, Spurs when it going two, nils, two goals down and bringing it back to get the draw. But this time... Went even better, went 1-0 down, 2-1 down, and managed to get but managed to get all three points. But I think Arsenal should still be worried about their frailties at the back. Uh, the John McGinn goal was way too easy. A simple ball in, and it was just, a, you know, all he needed was a deft touch to put into the bottom corner. And I would be, it's again, you just ran off Guendouzi. It's a midfield runners. We saw his, that goal against Tottenham, the way he just ran off the midfield, kind of through the defence and... Took it, um, put it past Lloris, and we saw with Arsenal, you know, just ran in between the midfielders. I think Guendouzi's marker not following him, and it was just a deft touch into the bottom corner. And the same with Wesley's goal. Grealish was running through the whole Arsenal, def- Arsenal midfield, Arsenal defence, unchallenged, put a ball across, and it was just another deft touch 
into the um, in past Leno. And again, I think David Luiz, when he was marking him, went with the wrong foot. I think he should have gone with his right foot to kind of cut across and go out, um, kind of go up the pitch. But instead, he went with his kind of left foot and just was never going to beat Wesley to the ball with his left foot. A swipe and miss and just let Wesley tap it in. And I think the concern should be for Arsenal's, Arsenal is they're making that mistakes against Aston Villa. What are the mistakes going to be like when they come up against Chelsea, United, City? They're gonna if they make those same mistakes, they won't be making the other team won't be making the same mistakes at the back like Villa will to let them back in the game. That's what they got to concentrate on. They do need to sort out their defence. I think I said last week. Hopefully, when Bellerin and Tierney come back in, it will help to shore up. But it's just that central pairing. Um, there's still that lack of spine that Arsenal haven't had for so long. And I think that'll, that will be the downfall of this season. Like, they can score all the goals they want, but it's, I think, what is frightening is how many goals they're letting in, especially two today against Villa. Two easy goals, in my opinion. Um, but we do have to commend them, like I said earlier, for coming back to, from with 10 men as well, uh, coming back from a goal down and from 2-1 down to win the game. But I do think that Maitland-Niles' red card was a little bit harsh. I think he did win the ball, and it's the follow-through. That got him um, kind of his second booking. It's difficult to say because you can't expect a player to pull out of a challenge once he's won the ball. It's a split second to win the ball and then drag his foot away to not follow through. It's, I think it shouldn't be a red card or it shouldn't be a second yellow. He's won the ball. He's just got a bit of a player. That's it. He's just got a bit of him. He shouldn't have been booked. I think uh, whether he probably would have gone off injured anyway, but then Arsenal would have still finished the game with 11 men and it would have probably wouldn't have been as easy for kind of Villa to get back into the game. But yeah, I think it wasn't a red card. I think he was done a bit harshly. But like I said, commend Arsenal for coming back down from coming down from losing position once again. Now on to the final Sunday kickoff, which was Liverpool against Chelsea. Liverpool again holding on to their perfect start this season. Overall I think it was a very good game. Um Liverpool just taking their chances really. Uh, Firmino was given a free header. I think Alonso should have been marking him a lot better, but we've seen this from Alonso in the past. He's not the best defender defend whilst defending. He's probably a, he's a really good defender going forward, but a defending defender is not his forte, in my opinion. Um, he kind of was kind of caught on his heels and then tried to challenge Firmino, but just did it a bit half-heartedly, just giving a free header. Firmino, in the form he's in, is not going to miss from there. Their first goal was an amazing, well-worked free kick. Um, it's just one of those. It's one of those positions that's really hard for keepers when it's so close to the 18-yard box and central. They can go either way, and I think just with Salah's back heel setting up for setting up for Trent Alexander-Arnold, it then just kind of gave him more of a space just to put in that top corner, and he hit it, and it was such a great finish. Which is all the good because they're both in my fancy football league team. Um, but again, quality finish and really well worked free kick. But they did give Joel Matip the man of the match. I personally think it should have gone to Kante. I think for a player that's missed a month of action, no real time to kind of get back to full fitness ahead of the game to play 90 minutes and play so well, I think you just have to commend him for it. Uh, he stopped so many Liverpool attacks, won the ball back for Chelsea. I mean, the most noticeable is when Salah was being put through on Grohl and he just knew he was going to cut back and just left his leg just to mop up the ball and he's such a talented midfielder he really really is and I think in, personally in that situation alone 
Salah should have been, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but Salah should have done a lot better. Um, if we want to speak about Salah being one of the best in the world, then he has to finish those chances. He has to do a lot better from him because I think players like Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, they would finish those chances. They would go through on goal and put it in the net. That's the difference, I think, between Salah and kind of the top, top tier attackers that I just named is their ruthlessness and their skill. I just don't think Salah's there just yet. But anyway, moving on, I think Kante did have a really good game and his goal was superb. Like, <laughs> If that was a player like Messi or a creative midfielder, if that was an Aguero, if that was a Son goal, we'd be talking about it so, so much. That goal was brilliant. I do think Fabinho should have been a lot tighter to him. I think he did allow him to kind of spin on him a bit too easily. And Liverpool's defence, I think they just give him a bit too much respect. I don't think, I personally think they thought he isn't going to do much from there. You know, Kante is not known for his goal scoring or assists. He's just known for kind of winning the ball back and just keeping the ball moving. But it was an amazing, amazing to finish right in the top corner as well. Um, right in the top corner as well. Incredible. Took on uh, Fabinho, Matip and Van Dijk and put in the top corner. How many players can say they did that? But it was a wonderful goal. But I do personally think he should have been man of the match, not uh, Matip. I think he did incredibly well for uh, Chelsea. They could have won it at the end, uh, could have got a point back even at the end with uh, Mason Mount uh, having a glorious chance and not doing it. And the same with Batshuayi had a kind of free header in the box. You could argue whether Tammy Abrams was there and not Batshuayi, whether that would have gone in. Um, but yeah, one of those hindsights. But I do think Kante, <coughs> yeah, for me, was man of the match. And it is interesting to see now that Kante's back, they, that Chelsea could go into a whole new strength. Because uh, usually they kind of play with three midfielders, Jorginho, Kovacic, and now Kante coming in and kind of pushing Mason Mount out, so to speak, onto the left-hand side. And now that Kante's come back, and even with playing 90 minutes, not kind of prepping the game too much of full fitness, um, missing a month, and he just looked comfortable in it. And I think, obviously, Frank Lampard wouldn't have wanted him to play 90 minutes because he's come back from injury, and having to play full 90 is quite hard on the body. But it was a fabulous performance, and I think that Chelsea could now go on to a whole new strength in order to get top four football. If uh, Kante does manage to keep fit for the remainder of the season, I think he'll help them to kind of push on and take them to the next level. I think they'll it'll protect the back four and stop them uh, leaking so many goals, and I think he'll help to kind of break down the plate and then start so many attacks for Chelsea. I think seeing him back in the Chelsea shirt is going to please a lot of Chelsea fans. And I think more importantly, seeing the type of players that are coming back, Reese James uh, coming back from injury, Callum hudson Adoy is making his on his road to recovery now, and so is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, obviously, the latter two we have seen in Chelsea shirt and uh, can make a difference. Reese James will be interesting to see whether he slots in a right back and they move Asper Lequeta into centre back for his experience. And Reese James slots in a right back because I think he's just a more mobile right back and it'll help to kind of. I think he'll be better suited that position at Aspilicueta in the moment's time because he is losing his legs. And whether he'll slot into centre-back with Tamore or Rudiger or Christensen, we'll have to wait and see. Chelsea fans should be excited seeing the players that can come back in the squad and if they hit the ground running, could help them reach top four at the end of the season. That is all, guys, for episode seven. We will be back as a duo once again. I do promise it will be very, very soon. We're just trying to sort some dates out to when we can get down and record. But you know the drill, guys. 
let us know how you think we're getting on leave a review or a comment down below we'd love to hear your feedback things we're doing well things we could do to improve and also remember to follow us to keep all update up to date with the news and gossip in the football world on our twitter and instagram at podcast underscore fg thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time